Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Going for your first ever run around the park. Literally running errands all over town. Running for the finish line and your personal best. If you run, you're a runner. Find the shoes and clothes to run your way at newbalance.com slash running. New Balance. Run your way. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Welcome, you're listening to the I Can't Believe I Get Paid to Do This podcast from BBC Good Food. Do you dream in food? Are you starting your first job, trying to change your path, writing your CV right now, or simply curious as to how the food on your plate gets there? We're focusing on the careers side of the food industry in this new series. I'm your host, Miriam Nice, and in this podcast, I'm going to be uncovering what it takes to have some of the most enviable jobs in the wonderful world of food. Do you consider yourself a gin connoisseur? Do you have an enviable drinks cabinet or have you recently perfected your best ever G&T? With me in this episode is someone who genuinely gets paid to drink gin, well, as part of their role anyway. How glam does that sound? My guest is Stuart Eakins, drinks industry expert, director and co-founder of sales and marketing company Cask Liquid Marketing. Welcome to the podcast, Stu. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, Miriam. Nice to, uh, nice to see you. Oh, you too. And uh, so tell us a bit more about what your company does, if you don't mind. Yeah, no problem. Um, I guess I get asked this question quite a lot, um, particularly from friends, is kind of, what do you actually do? Uh, My normal answer is, well, I sell booze for a living. But I guess if you looked at the sort of official spin would be that, um, along with my business partner, Richard Herbert, we um, set up a sales and marketing agency for sort of premium luxury spirit brands um, around 10 years ago called Cask Liquid Marketing. Great. And um, your company was founded in 2011. Um, What were you doing before that? Um, Before that, both myself and Richard were working for a company called In Spirit Brands, 
um, which was a sort of similar sales and marketing agency for for spirit brands. Um, I guess the sort of difference is that that was probably more a sort of analog version, and I guess this is more of a digital version of um, of, of that particular kind of part of the industry. So um, really, it's a sort of uh, step two, um, but still doing essentially the same same kind of role. And if you go right back to the beginning, what did you want to be when you grew up? What's your earliest memory of that? Um, I don't know really, because I used to um, I used to do a lot of competitive swimming, so that was kind of always what I wanted to do was just to sort of be an athlete and kind of compete. And then you get to a certain age and uh, you realise that there's not actually any money in um, amateur sport, and um, and you kind of have to sort of make a decision as to what you're going to do. So um, I, I spent the next sort of four years after that traveling, um, which I think kind of gave me a bit of an insight into sort of flavor as much as anything else. Um, and, and come back and didn't really know what I wanted to do. And, um, and a friend of mine was running a bar restaurant in Fulham and, uh, suggested that I come and work for him as his assistant manager. And, um, which I did, and still wasn't kind of really thinking hospitality was going to be what I wanted to end up in. And then um, and then he went and got another job and I got made the general manager of a bar restaurant within sort of six months of being in the industry. So it was kind of a bit of a sink or swim moment. Um, but that was really what sort of started that journey of kind of working with brands and understanding different brands, talking to people that come in to sell you their products. Um, and it gave me an insight into kind of that side of hospitality. So it was uh, purely by chance that I've ended up doing this. Brilliant. And um, would you say, I mean, to, to co-found a company that creates you know means a lot of passion do you feel that this is your dream job what you're doing right now yeah 100 percent. it's um I mean I love I love flavor I love going to restaurants I like going to bars um I like cocktails I like wine I like beer um so I'm kind of the perfect target audience for uh for my own job um <laughs> so yeah no I, I think you know if you're going to work in this industry you have to be passionate um, you have to be inquisitive and curious, um, but also competitive. And I think, um, you know, ultimately we're, we're still selling as much as we're marketing brands, we're selling brands and um, success is based around, you know, numbers that you deliver at the end of the year. So um, I think having a sort of competitive background in sport gives you that kind of competitive edge when you're, uh, which you can take through into work. Well, that's really important. Yeah. I'd not really thought about it like that. Um, and one question that I ask everybody, but I might change it in your case. I normally ask people what the last thing they ate was, but I should ask you what the last thing you drank was, really. Well, the <laughs> last, I think probably the last drink that I had, it was actually quite a few days ago, which is quite rare for me. Um, but we were at a trade show last week and um, we sort of pretty much drank everything that we've got in the portfolio over the course of a couple of days. Um, but I think probably the last drink that I had would have been um, an espresso martini. Uh, and there's a new bar called Christina's in the Mondrian in Shoreditch. And um, yeah, they've got an espresso martini on the menu with bees pollen, and it's absolutely delicious. So probably not the best thing to drink before you go to bed, but that was the last drink that I had. So your job involves like going out a, a fair bit. Talk me through a typical day. I'm guessing it's very rarely nine to five. Um, it's not nine to five. It tends to be nine, but often later than five. 
Um, okay. So I would say the morning's kind of catching up on emails and, and getting your phone calls out of the way. And then there's probably an afternoon of various meetings. I mean, a little bit more face-to-face now, which is nice. Um, it was kind of death by Zoom for a year and a half, which is probably the dullest year and a half in this industry that um, that I've done. Um, but now it's back out. Everybody wants to see see you again. So yeah, it's going to bars, restaurants. Um, some meetings are real, just sort of catch ups with sort of wholesale or retail, um, and then others are actually talking to bar managers or bar owners about um, what their needs are, kind of post post COVID, really. So yeah, there's a, a lot of opportunity at the moment to go and talk to people and sort of see how everybody's been getting on and try and sort of help shape what they want from the next kind of 12 months. Um, I mean, we're back doing tastings. I think that was probably one of the things, you know, physical tastings was quite difficult. Um, I did a few doorstep tastings with people during lockdown with journalists where we'd kind of uh, stand about a couple of metres apart and sort of taste whiskey outside in the street. Um, So you kind of, I guess you just do what you have to do. Uh, but at the moment, we're back tasting in venues and stuff. So that's quite nice getting teams of people and getting our brand ambassadors out there tasting again. So, um, yeah, it's kind of, it, it feels weird, but it's back to normal. <laughs> you mentioned a brand ambassador. For anyone who doesn't know, what does that involve? Okay. Traditionally, I suppose, a brand ambassador is there to support a sales team within a sales and marketing agency. Um, it's very much hands-on, um, relationship-driven, um, talking to bartenders, um, helping create drinks, working with bar managers, bar owners on drinks lists, on cocktail lists, um, and really just being the font of knowledge um, for that particular brand. Or, or more so now, you have to be the font of knowledge for the category. Um, so it's as important to know what all your competitors are doing as it is your own brand. And I, I think there's a lot of value in talking knowledgeably about a whole category rather than specifically about your brand. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click gift mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And gift mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, gift mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. 
Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. What about after work for you? So has that changed doing this kind of work? Has that changed your relationship with sort of going out, having fun? Is ordering a cocktail, does that just feel like work to you now? Um, It can do. Um, I think at the moment it doesn't because we've not been able to do it for so long. So <laughs> it's like a sort of regeneration of, um, of you know, what it was like at the beginning. So um, at the moment, yes, I am ordering cocktails in bars. Um, you do go through stages. I think, you know, if the weather's nice, you tend to drink beer and cider. Um, or if I'm kind of out socially outside of work, I probably drink more wine. Um I think if you drink spirits, it tends to be um, kind of straight over ice. Um, I'm not sure if that's a great development, but that's kind of where where it heads. I think in terms of uh, your repertoire as you as you get older within the industry. And what did your friends and family think about when you first said you wanted to do this and set up this business? What were their thoughts? Um, I think probably my parents thought it was quite an apt role, <laughs> as they'd kind of. Uh, grown up with me through the uh, your later teenage years um and I think from a friend's perspective they, they I mean everybody jokes about kind of you know what is it you actually do other than drink booze um so you know I'm constantly defending our position of um, of what we do in our industry so that it at least sounds slightly work-like so what do you say what is it what's your initial defense well I mean it's difficult to defend it I you know I try to say that look you know Half the time I'm sat behind a laptop, um, you know, responding to emails the same as uh, most people do in most industry. Um, but there is that element of it when you're you're out in, in what other people would consider kind of a social environment, but you see it as a work environment. Um, so I think it's kind of, you know, you just have to keep saying to them that it is actually work. I think the difficulty comes is when you do a lot of trips abroad to distilleries and um and then you really you're really stretching it to say that um that you're working while you're uh, potentially sat on a beach in uh, in the middle of uh, the Caribbean drinking rum. <laughs> that sounds like a perk. Yeah, definitely. Well, you've been on one of our one of our work excursions to um uh-huh. Spain. So, how did you feel would that feel like work for you? Um, well, you're quite right. Yeah, it, it's sort of, you you sort of feel a kind of heightened state of just like, right, I need to get information from this, but I'm enjoying it. Like, so you're kind of like fighting a side of you to just sort of be like, oh, I'm in a restaurant and it's wonderful and it's beautiful. And you're like, no, get your notebook out, get your phone out, take pictures, write stuff down, get inspired. It's, it's that kind of weird sort of tussle. Um, it is. It's and kind of like being on an, in, you know, having a job interview in a, in a bar or something. It's sort of really strange sort of two things happening at once. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we're, you know, we're very lucky to be in this industry. Um, and I think because there's so much crossover with what, traditionally people would call work or play um i think that you end up meeting and you know so many people in our industry that it does become social and you know you make a lot of good friendships and long-lasting friendships um so i think you know as an industry we're very lucky that you do get that crossover between sort of business and and business and pleasure yeah absolutely and one of the things that we mentioned at the top of the podcast was was gin and it is one of the more popular drinks in the spirits category why do you think so many people fell in love with it and do you have any predictions of kind of like where it's going to go um I think there was probably there was there was a number of reasons why gin um took off 
as it did in the UK. I think we were already a nation of gin drinkers, albeit in a very kind of different format and different style of drinking it. Um, and then I think what happened in the sort of early 2000s is we started kind of looking to Europe and how they consume gin. And I think that kind of sort of Spanish way of drinking gin in a big glass with lots of ice, um, kind of really taking it from the sort of dusty pub um, environment in a small glass and a sorry looking piece of lemon for a garnish and I think it sort of elevated how it can be drunk and it can be refreshing and it can be you know a really nice aperitif or or on the continent how they drink it as a digestif as well so I think there was a sort of cultural thing around how we drink gin that sort of helped kind of get the movement um, going and then there was sort of mixer brands I think Fever Tree were really important in um, kind of making people think about what they put in their gin. So suddenly you had, you know, how are we going to drink the gin? What are we going to put in to mix the gin? And then people started looking at which garnishes kind of could kind of bridge that flavour gap between the gin and the tonic. You know, is it a sprig of rosemary? Is it a piece of pink grapefruit? So I think, you know, although it's only kind of three or four simple parts I think it just got people thinking about there's lots of different variables and different ways of um, of consuming gin um, and I think you know there was the I guess the brand that sort of started to modernize gin would have probably been in the late 90s was Bombay Sapphire um, and kind of made people think about gin in a different way and then I think Sipsmith really kind of grabbed hold of that mantle um, you know, in the um, 2000s and really, you know, people started looking at gin and thinking, you know, there's so much to explore here rather than just a very straightforward juniper-led kind of botanical mix. All of a sudden there was a lot of variation, a lot of variety. So I think that that's what's got the got the category to where it is. Where does it go from here? Um, I think there's not many flavours that people haven't put into gin at the moment. Um, and, you know, maybe there'll be, maybe some of those flavours will fall away. I think the, the sort of current trend with, um, with different colours and flavours of gin, I think, could be faddish. Um, and you could find that, you know, there'll be a few that stay and then a lot that will fall away. And maybe there'll be a sort of a movement back to um, really discovering what juniper is actually about and, um, and sort of back to the sort of core roots of what gin actually is. I think you know there's so much variety in gin now that you know you could you could drink a different gin every day for the next however many years. So I think you know there's a lot to discover out there. And as a as a someone that's a consumer at home, I think you know there's so much to discover. So I think that journey for a lot of people's probably only just begun. You mentioned about sort of flavors and stuff. It sounds quite sort of sciencey. Do you find you need any kind of qualifications or certifications to do the work that you do? Well, hopefully not, because I wouldn't be um, <laughs> I wouldn't be where we are. I think it helps. I think um, I think it helps if you understand flavour and you understand how flavour compounds and molecules work with each other. We've done some work in the past taking um, a, a specific gin and then looking at using science, using gas chromatography, and looking at which um, vermouth would be the perfect vermouth to put with the gin. And you can overlap the chromatographs from both the gin and the vermouth to find out where the corresponding flavour spikes are. Um, and then you can layer that with the garnish. So you can try and create, you know, what is the perfect martini or what is the perfect G&T. So I think, you know, it does help if you've got a little bit of a sort of sciencey background. But I think, um, you know, ultimately it's about um, 
it's about taste and keeping on tasting something. And I think the more you taste spirits or wine or beer, um, you know, the stronger your repertoire becomes. And and you can actually, it's something you can teach yourself to be good at um, tasting product. And that was uh, the thing I wanted to ask you about then was, other than sort of tasting, what are the things that you think people should do if they're really keen? Are there any things they should read or know about or look to if they're interested in a career in this industry? Yeah, I think, you know, knowledge is power. Um, 100%. I think there's um, there's a lot of good journalists out there. There's a lot of books on booze. <laughs> so, you know, it's almost endless the amount of um, reading that you can do around the subject. Um, I think there's some great websites. I think um, differedsguide.com is um, a really nice place to start if you're excited by alcohol. Um, it's a nice, you know, laid out website, and I think you can you can glean quite a lot of information. And there's quite a lot of links to um, other parts of our industry. Um, I would always say work in a bar, restaurant. You know, there's a, there's a lot of positions for people at the moment in bars and restaurants in the UK, um, and there's nothing better than first hand knowledge. And I guess that comes back to you know, taste, 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 taste as much as you can. I think. The social element's really important. I think, you know, just being out socialising and being aware of what's around you and what's in your environment. There's a lot of films now about alcohol, you know, some good, some bad. I particularly liked Sour Grapes recently, which I thought was a good, fun film to watch about a different side of our industry. And then there's now this kind of, there's sort of in this world of looking for experiential um, kind of, you know, people want experiences now. And um, so there's things like the gin journey where you can kind of sign up for a sort of bus tour around London of five of some of the best cocktail bars, having a different gin cocktail in each one. So I think there's lots of stuff like that. And then on a sort of more serious side, I think if you're interested in brands or you're interested in packaging and how that works, um, I, I, I really love the Museum of Brands um, in Notting Hill. I think that's a, a really good afternoon out to go and look back at how sort of branding and advertising and packaging has developed over the years um, because that's such an important part as to what choices we make. Yeah, it's that sort of storytelling side of... Yeah, 100%. I mean, there's such a rich history with gin as well. And um, so I think, you know, if you're into your history, um, that's another way of kind of understanding about alcohol. Um, I think um, uh, one of my favourite books is a journalist, Henry Jeffries, wrote a book, Empire of Booze, which I just think is a really nice kind of jaunt through, um, through different alcohol categories. So, yeah, I think there's lots of stuff out there, on uh, you know, that we can access. So I think if you're genuinely passionate about drinks and brands, I think, you know, just get out there and experience as much as you can and read as much as you can. I saw that some of the stuff you do is judging competitions. Can you tell me a little bit about that side? <laughs> um, that's, an, that's, another, that's another part of the job where people go, really, is that what you're doing for work this afternoon? Drinking 30 cocktails? Uh, yeah, we do do a lot of, um, I think competitions are a great way to engage bartenders into a brand. Um, so over the years, well, over the last 20 years, have judged a lot of cocktail competitions for all different spirit categories, but a lot with gin. And I think it's um, it can be quite tricky um, judging cocktail competitions. You have to make sure that you don't get um, too excited with how much uh, how much you're taking of each of the cocktails at the beginning. Otherwise, you start to make uh, spurious choices towards the end. So 
it really is about, um, I think it's just understanding the flavours that people have put together and looking for something that, you know, ultimately it's all about flavour and taste and you're looking for something that genuinely tastes good. Um, it's not about being too clever or um, or trying to reinvent something that might not work. It's it's looking for those drinks that you think, you know, I'd be really happy to go and spend 10, 15 pounds in a bar and, and, and drink this drink. So they're the sort of elements that you look for. Fantastic. Would you have to eat quite a lot before? <laughs> yeah, otherwise you otherwise you just get left eating the garnishes, which uh, <laughs> is uh, no, you can, no man can survive on garnishes alone. I don't know. I've seen some Bloody Marys with a whole fried chicken on the side, so maybe. A Bloody Mary competition is probably my favourite competition to judge because <laughs> you do tend to get snacks. Oh, fantastic. Thank you, Sip. Thank you for joining me uh, on this. I can't believe I get paid to do this podcast. Next time, I'll be finding out about another dream job in food and drink. In the meantime, Stu is going to be recording a bonus episode in which he's going to be talking you through some essential trade secrets. Uh, He's going to be talking you through a bit of a gin tasting session, so you can do that at home. So don't miss that at the weekend. Thanks, Stu. Thanks, Miriam. Nice to see you. (laughs) And for more information, visit bbcgoodfood.com forward slash podcasts. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the I Can't Believe I Get Paid to Do This podcast from BBC Good Food. Join us next time when we'll be finding out about another dream job in food and drink. 